How does a Buddhist monk understand himself? There is no you among the parts that make up the you. Where can we find true liberation? So many of the problems that we experience in life are due to our attributing some sort of sense of me. What exactly is this thing called karma? The whole idea that it is our past actions, particularly our mental actions, that determine our present state. It is our present actions, particularly our mental actions, that determine the future. This week, Buddhist monk Nicholas Vreeland on Nine Questions with Eric Oliver. Hi, everyone. This week's guest is Nicholas Vreeland. Nicky was born into a life of privilege. His grandmother, Diana Vreeland, was the famous editor of Vogue magazine, and his father was a high-ranking diplomat. And Nicky grew up in a life of luxury and glamour. He also grew up with a deep love of photography, and it looked when he was in his 20s as if he might follow a career in fashion and art. But Nicky heard another calling. After learning about meditation through an article in Time magazine, funnily enough, Nicky became interested in Buddhism. He started working with the Tibet Center in New York and gradually found himself being drawn deeper and deeper into Tibetan Buddhism. By the age of 31, Nicky decided to renounce his worldly life and become a Buddhist monk. He headed to India to study at one of the monasteries from the Tibetan refugee community. And in 2012, the Dalai Lama appointed Nikki to be the abbot of one of these monasteries, and he's only one of 11 Tibetan abbots that are living outside of India. I was really honored to have the chance to Zoom with Nikki. Um, he was in his monastery in India when we spoke, and ask him my nine questions on how to find meaning in life. If you'd like to hear more of our conversation, please head to 9-questions.com, where you can find links to the full versions of all of our podcasts, which we are happy to make available to our Patreon supporters. And if you want to find out more about Nikki, I highly recommend the documentary, A Monk with a Camera, which documents his life trajectory from a child of glamour to Buddhist monk living in India. What are you? Looking at the questions, uh, you have, what am I? And then question number three, who am I really? And I didn't really know how to uh, separate those. And here I think I'll have to, I, I think that I should give some kind of explanation of the concept of self that we have in Buddhism. I am a composite of parts, and uh, they are the Buddhist concept of self is made up of the physical and the non physical, the mental. There is a a profound belief that though we have a brain, which is the sort, of, the sort of mechanical method by which we go through thought processes, uh, there is a, a mental aspect to the self that is not the brain, that is makes use of the brain, but is not the brain. The brain would be the sort of vehicle by which that mental the, the thought process relates to the rest of the physical uh, concept of the aspects of this self. So the we talk about aggregates in that each of the parts that make me up is made up of a bunch of parts. And the whole idea of calling the parts aggregates and really pushing this concept that 
the parts themselves are made of parts that are made of parts that are made of parts is to break down any concept of there being something among all these parts that would be me. So that the only thing that exists is the interdependent amalgam of all these parts to which the continuum of the, 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 the mental aspects of the, the self uh, attribute some feeling of me. But that's simply attributed. There is no me among the parts. There can't be. It's, it's imagined. It, it's imputed upon the parts by me. What is your purpose? So I don't know that one could say that, that one has a purpose. I, I, think that, I think that you can give yourself purpose, but in terms of, again, uh, if we, in the same way that there is no inherently existent or, or independently existent self, there is no inherently existent or independently existent purpose. So if I could ask a little bit more about this, because I know in the Mayana tradition, there's an idea of reincarnation. And one of the things I've always been puzzled about is, is the idea of reincarnation within this, there's something teleological about it so that the, these incarnations keep happening again and again and again, because they are leading towards some particular goal, which I think in the Buddhist tradition really is about secession of incarnation. At least that's the, the goal of the practice as I understand it. Um, and uh, this understanding that there's a, a stepwise progression that can take, you know, thousands of incarnations before one is able to finally realize this process of, of liberation from the process of incarnation. And so does that count as a purpose? I don't think so. That can count as a, a purpose that the practitioner uh, gives himself or herself, but it's not an objectively existing purpose. I mean, I can you know, decide that the purpose of my life is to become a better person in order to help others, but that's not, you know, I, I can't say that that's the purpose of life. So it's it's not a it's not a foregone conclusion that this is destiny in some ways. So, so there are those who believe that, I mean, just to give you the party line, yes, we each have the potential. Uh, each of these, you know, the uh, amalgams of which I uh, spoke, which are not limited to human beings, uh, uh, all sentient beings of which there are infinite varieties throughout existence, each one of these has the potential to attain liberation from this sort of cycle of rebirth, to attain full, the full enlightenment or the omniscience of a fully enlightened being, having sort of escaped the causal wheel of rebirth. So given the fact that we each have the potential to do so, it's not that there's anyone we could point to and I'm saying anyone, any mosquito, we can point to and say, oh, that one isn't going to make it. Uh -huh. We all have that potential. Yeah. And so in some sense, due to the fact that we all have the potential, we could say that from a certain point of view, that becomes an eventual, 
attainment of all. Uh-huh. It's a potential attainment, and therefore, it well, could be an attainment. Is it is it a matter is it, is it a matter of free will, or is it a matter of uh, probabilistic circumstance that oh, I happen to be born in this form, and this form is hence motivated towards seeking enlightenment and it sets on this way or is it i have my own choice about what to do with my circumstance here so here now let's bring the whole conversation to the human level 2022 and we humans uh, who are endowed with a certain ability to make decisions weigh the pros and cons, etc. And the fact that we are human beings with these sort of ethical or moral values uh, that we can weigh um, have a certain responsibility or that in itself brings with it. Uh, I don't want to judge others, but, uh, you know, it's, it's really an attitude that we should have towards ourselves uh, as we decide what to do each step of the way along our lives. And uh, so I can only really speak about my own feeling of responsibility and my own ability to determine where I'm going to end up. And, you know, these are, we're sort of jumping ahead to future questions here Uh as I make my way along my life's path. Can we come back to who are you? So one of the things that we devote years to doing is to come to realize that there is no you among the parts that make up the you. And that's a very important philosophical goal that we are trying to arrive at, because we do come to understand that the whole, that so many of the problems that we experience in life are due to our attributing some sort of sense of me to these parts. And out of that sense of me, we feel entitled and we feel proud and we get angry when things don't go our way. We have desires that we wish to fill or satisfy, etc. So um, one of the processes by which we, let's say, uh, undo the vicious circle that leads to all our problems is to realize that at the core of that vicious circle, there is no me. Um, So that's that really is an important part of our study, of our practice. Can I ask you how how far along have you made it towards realizing that? <laughs> well, I, I've made it look far enough so that I can convey as much as I have to you. Okay. Uh, that's as far as... <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. What are your dreams telling you? In all the questions, that was the one that I had to say, I don't know, because I don't really dream. Uh, Every once in a while, I have a nice auspicious dream, and I think, how wonderful. Uh, But there there are certain ceremonies where we are meant to view our dreams, and uh, the Lama will say, so tonight when you go to bed, do say certain prayers, and then look at your dreams, look for certain auspicious signs. And then the next day, the Lama will say, so whatever your dreams were, don't get attached to them. Uh, they're just dreams. And so I, I, I feel that way. I had a dream last night that you were in. Uh, so I watched the documentary and then you showed up in my dream. And I, I wasn't, we, we were having a pleasant conversation in the dream. Uh, 
So Sounds then, very nice. Yeah. And, I, and then I woke up and I was like, oh, wow, how about that? <laughs> and we're having a pleasant conversation. Yeah, yeah. What moves you? The whole idea that it is our past actions, particularly our mental actions, that determine our present state. It is our present actions, particularly our mental actions, that determine the future. And so what moves me, I'm moved as a result of how I have behaved. Uh, I am moved as a result of the, the tendencies that I have cultivated. Now, when I uh, here I'm talking as a someone who's working on himself. You know, most people are sort of led through life sort of by the nose and their emotions sort of pull them along. And, and that's, that's uh, I don't want to, I'm not judging people, but I'm saying that if you are working on yourself, you are working at diminishing your let's say, desires or senses of sense of attachment or things like that, and calming the mind and trying to cultivate sort of more virtuous thoughts. And it is the cultivation of virtuous thoughts. It is the cultivation of a calm mind. It's the cultivation of contentment with what you have that determine your feelings. I had, in, in my experiences with meditation, um, where I'm able to quiet my mind down and just observe my body and sensations on my body as it's going forward, that this realization that my emotions manifest themselves in me physically, feelings that I would say are happy, joyous, or positive emotions, I oftentimes experience at a more subtle level as energy flow. It, it feels like this just vibrancy coursing through me. Uh, more difficult emotions, be it anger or sadness, uh, these oftentimes uh, I experience as energy blockages. And I, I don't know, in the, in the Theravadan tradition that I've been studying, I have these things called sankharas, which is when I'm meditating, I'll sometimes get these very, very sharp pains that arise in me, that are these kind of blockages of energy flow. And I have to work at observing through them and around them. They're They're very challenging. I'm wondering if in your tradition, you've had anything comparable to that as part of your practice. So um, I have not engaged in the meditation that you have that you're describing. So my relationship with my practice is maybe more worldly, you know, as a normal, I mean, though I am a monk, I'm also a normal human being. And I get bashed about by attractions, aversions, anger, frustration. I do sit and think about it and try to develop something of a, a detachment and an objective ability to make my way through this. But that's, uh, that's really as much as I do. I mean, <laughs> I often use the example of the camera. I mean, as a photographer, one of the sort of professional deformities is that is that an expression in English? Sure. <laughs> we'll make it one. <laughs> in French, you talk about a deformation professionnelle. Uh-huh. And uh, one of the ones that photographers possess is some kind of interest in the tool, the, the, the camera. And, uh, you know, we live in a time when um, camera manufacturers are 
really, really working and tickling our our our, our desires uh, with more and more <clears throat> pixels and more and more features, etc. You you learn to stand back and to really see this as a bunch of parts that 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 uh, function to perform a function, to be a tool, to be a good tool, and that sort of clear objective view of the camera diminishes the idea of some specialness that the, that the camera manufacturers are desperately trying to <laughs> uh, cultivate in us. And uh, so I think that, you know, thinking through things like that is, is very helpful. Anger, I really think that sitting down and thinking about the, the other person's point of view and coming to understand how he or she is totally invested in, in his view of things for perfectly logical reasons. I mean, not always wise reasons, but they, they, have, a, they have a logic. And all of that diminishes my feeling of, of, of anger. There's still maybe a problem there that I have to deal with, but I'm not dealing with it overwhelmed by anger. And uh, so it's in that sense that, that we work on ourselves. Who's writing your life story? <laughs> well, I'm meant to be. Uh, <laughs> one of the tasks that my photography teacher gave me many years ago when I went to see him, <laughs> and I haven't really worked on it, but I should. And my teacher has also told me to do so. But, um, you know, writing is painful. And sitting and writing about oneself is, I, I don't quite think I'm there yet. I, I was, okay. I, I was a little, on, on the subject of photography, I was curious watching the documentary about you and the analogies between photography and as a way of seeing and Buddhism as a way of seeing. And it struck me that uh, two things about you is uh, an interest in seeing. And I, I'm wondering if, if, if there's, if, if, if you draw on those two interests and you find them compatible or, or do they illuminate each other in any particular ways for you? I was recently asked about where I place photography in my, in my life. And I have to say, I place it in the category of indulgences. And then it was nice because the next question I was asked was, when one is working on oneself, if one gets sort of overwhelmed and depressed as a result of that, what advice do you have? And I said, well, photography for me. <laughs> indulge the indulgence uh, or indulge in the indulgence. You know, the whole idea that this is a picture. I remember, you know, the great French photographer, Henri Cartier-Bresson, and I happened to be at his home for lunch when he was, he began saying, that's the picture. And there, there. And he he was doing this extraordinary thing of 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 deciding that you know this was the moment where the elements and I I mean this was someone who from the age of thirteen was a hero and here I was witnessing him describing the uh, the process of composing putting together the elements that make up a photograph because photography is not just seeing photography is putting together those elements. 
I've often thought about the fact that there's something rather arbitrary about that being a picture as opposed to that. When I sit on the abbot's throne in the prayer hall with all the monks, I find my mind saying, oh, that's a picture. Do you own your shit or does your shit own you? You know, my reaction to that is that's a real chicken egg question because my issues influence who I am and I thereby influence what my issues are. Uh, I mean, if I think of this in terms of cause and effect, uh, the laws of karma, it is the issues that I'm experiencing that determine provide the situation out of which I decide how to behave. And it is my behavior that determines what the future issues are. So there, that's an interesting idea. It's, it's, it's more subtle than, than just pure ownership. It's both owning and relinquishing at the same time. And it's a continual process of, or is it being owned and relinquishing? Uh, is, is that a way of, of characterizing well, it? Well, relinquishing. Uh, I don't know where you bring in the issues, the situation that I find myself in. The situation is the physical situation. The situation is also the mental sort of whatever you influences that, 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 that work on me. All of those things are pushing me as I determine how I'm going to behave in respect to them all. The way I behave is what then determines the issues that I then face. So I don't know that the relinquishing... Well, I, I guess I, I think about when, when I was formulating this question, I was thinking about the parts of my own self-processes that I don't like or I'm uncomfortable with or that are burdensome for me. So my, my tendencies to obsess on petty concerns, my, my worries, my anxieties and my neuroses about things that are unlikely to happen. The the way in which you behave towards those influences in itself, that way will determine the influences that you then experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, 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 the mental attitudes that we have towards life affect the life that we then experience, determine, I would even say, Sure. The life you've had experience. Sure. I, I think, uh, so I, I will speak for myself personally here. So some of the challenges I have, though, is when I'm caught up in these cycles, they just, just have such a relentless power. And I'm like, breathe, relax, let go, breathe, relax, let go. And they just keep coming back again and again. The fact that, you know, you, you've given me this, this description of it, you've recognized the fact that you can get sucked into feeding the beast. You, you try to the extent that you're able to, to calm the mind down. All of those efforts, all of that slight objectivity helps you uh, and diminishes the force of all that shit. How do you find love? Um, the wonderful thing about that question and about, I mean, I, I, I smile as I think about it, because love, there's a sort of reflexive, reflective quality. If you smile, people are happy. 
and their happiness makes you happy. And it's as simple as that. When you're kind, uh, you create kindness around you um, and uh, make the world a kinder, more loving place. So I think that you find love by the way in which you give love. Um, this seems to be a common theme amongst a lot of wise people I'm talking to. So and it, um, I keep thinking of the, there's a Beatles song and there's a lyric from a Beatles song that, you know, and in the end, the love that you take is equal to the love that you make. Um, and that seems to be a, a common theme. Where are you going from here? So if you're asking that objectively, you know, for, for everyone, if we look at the situation of our lives, we can thereby see where we've come from. And if we look at the mental attitude that we have towards our lives, we can see where we're going. My mental attitude is a nice big hodgepodge of all sorts of things. And so I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like you're all just along for the ride or are you trying to nudge in some ways or um, are you just saying? I hope like, I'm trying to nudge. <laughs> my profession. Um, <laughs> I don't know that I'm doing so well. Yeah, I'm trying to. Well, is there anything else that I missed that you would like to share? Um, the purpose of this project is to try to put wisdom out there for people um, that people will find useful. Um, I think that to understand that we are responsible for our situations and we are, that's not a judgment it's a it's the opportunity to assume responsibility for our actions as we go forward uh, that's all we can do um, is take our steps along our paths responsibly and i think that that understanding of our place of responsibility is important thank you so so much and um Warm regards, and I, I hope at some point we'll be able to encounter each other in a in a face to face setting. <laughs> With pleasure. Okay, thank you so much. like you're getting a lot out of our show there's another university of chicago podcast network show you should check out it's called big brains big brains brings you the engaging stories behind the pioneering research and pivotal breakthroughs reshaping our world change how you see the world through research and keep up with the latest academic thinking with big brains part of the award-winning university of chicago podcast network